I'm preaching these messages not, not, to, not to add to anything that was said at the revival. I certainly cannot, but simply to be an, an encouragement in, in building on the momentum from the revival. How many of you feel like God spoke to you during that week? You say there's something specific. Hey, hold your hands up if you can say this. There's something specific I know God wants me to deal with through that. Yeah. All right, so that is the opportunity to build momentum. And just preaching t- this morning and tonight, a couple of thoughts that are an encouragement to me and that I want just to help encourage that forward movement, forward being following Jesus Christ. Before I get to that, I think I know why Brother Cook was nervous. He's afraid Miss Peggy was going to get on him about something. <laughs> oh, man, it's great seeing the connect, the college and career singles out there. Um, how many did y'all have? I'm looking for somebody that knows. How many were out there? Anybody know? We'll call it 87. All right, sweet. That's, what I, that's, how, I, that's how I do math. All right. Sounds good. Well, it was a blessing. Thankful for it. Thankful uh, for all of that. It's great. It's great having Sunday school again. It's great in this room being able to sing my renditions of happy birthday and happy anniversary. And uh, I will not do that right now, but I'd be happy to sing that to you later if you would like. So John chapter 6, verse number 1. After these things, Jesus went over the sea of Galilee, which is the sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him. And here's why they followed him. Because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread, excuse me, buy bread that these may eat? Verse 6 is important, and this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves, and two small fishes. And then he asks a question, and this is the thought that we'll deal with. But what are they among so many? And so the thought, the title is this, from the few to the many. From the few to the many. You may be seated. Ask God to bless the preaching of his word. At this time, Brother Adam will sing, and then after that we'll get to the preaching. of Jesus that he knows my secret thoughts yet in mercy offers pardon for crimes my own hands have wrought matchless grace none can compare may this be the crown I wear blessed assurance on my face 
evidence of matchless grace. Oh, the matchless grace of Jesus, how can he forgive my past? Breaking chains of sin's transgressions, praise his name, I'm free at last. Oh, the matchless grace of Jesus, even in death I'm not alone. Crossing Jordan, hear him saying, well done, my child, welcome home. Matchless grace, none can compare. May this be the crown I wear. Blessed assurance on my face. Evidence of matchless grace, matchless grace, none can compare. May this be the crown I wear, blessed assurance on my face. Evidence of matchless grace, evidence of matchless grace. Amen. That's a blessing. Man, I love Brother Adam saying that like you believed it. That's a, that is a blessing. I can't hit that note. <laughs> but that's still the truth of my life. Evidence of matchless grace. And that's what we all ought to be. I don't know how many of you are interested in art. We have some who are and some who are very successful artists in their own right. But a more well-known artist in our day is a man named Vincent van Gogh, who lived during the 1800s. He was a Dutch post-impressionist painter. You say, what does that mean? Have no idea. <laughs> I just want to sound good when I say it. During his time, he was actually very poor, and his work was not valued or appreciated, but posthumously, he became one of the most famous and influential figures of Western art. In, in a decade, he created about 2,100 works of art, including around 860 oil paintings, most of which date from the last two years of his life. Now, I've done a painting or two in my life, and uh, very unsuccessfully. And the ones that look good look good because of the involvement of others. But this is what I, I know, that a good work of art takes a lot of time, and it takes a lot of attention to small details. And it, usually an artist is able to have a picture in mind that they're working to achieve. But up until almost until the time the painting's completed, you can't, you, you can't always tell what it's going to be. You're just watching small little details be put into place and be added in another detail and another detail and another detail until all of a sudden this beautiful painting jumps off the page at you. There's a quote from Vincent Van Gogh that really sums this up, and he said this, Great things 
are done by series of small things brought together. You see, a painting is lots of little details that are tended to, lots of little things that are done meticulously and diligently, and then over time they come together to produce something that is very, very significant. Here's what we can understand about small things in our lives. Small things can either make a good big difference or they can make a bad big difference. Small things in your life will go a long, long way to determining what the masterpiece of your life looks like. Now, I believe this. I believe that God is working out a masterpiece in the life of every one of his children. But please understand that he doesn't force his will on any of us. He, he never gives up on us. But he doesn't force his will on any of us. And we have to recognize that there are small things in my life that can either be used for greatness or they can be used to bring about great detriment and heartache. Jesus and the disciples are ministering to the multitudes, and he's doing that going about preaching and healing. Now, the attractive part of Jesus Christ to the masses during this time was the fact that he cured diseases for which there was no cure. He had interest and compassion on people that no one in the upper echelons of Jewish society would cared about. He was found among them bringing peace, bringing hope, bringing joy, and alleviating their suffering, one disease, one plague, one sickness at a time. And they didn't, they didn't really recognize who he was as God, but they did recognize that he has some ability that we can really benefit from, and so they followed him in mass. Well, in verse number three, Jesus and his disciples, they go up to a mountain, and you understand being up high, you have a natural you naturally have a better view of what's below. Um, I, I took Brother Nance and his daughter Avery, some of the kids and I took he and Avery out to Jump Creek Canyon. How many of you have been out there? And, and we didn't this time because the trails were muddy, but you can get up high. And Jason, um, he asked, there's a, a section of rock that you can wedge yourself up between and climb up to the top of the waterfall. And Jason asked if he could go up there, and he's standing up there right by the waterfall. And you can, you can look out to the east, and you, you can look over the valley that we call the Treasure Valley. Um, there's a hike up in the Boise, in the, the, Boise, the mountains uh, to, the, to the east of Boise, uh, that the uh, Stack Rock. You heard of that? Been there? And it's at the top of this trail. It's about six miles. There's this huge rock formation. And I have a picture of Alexandra standing on the top of that. And you look out over the west and you can just see the whole valley. You can see Lake Lowell. And you can see from Boise all the way out to Caldwell and beyond. You, just, you get a picture of what is all there. And so you have this image in your mind of Jesus and his disciples. They're elevated and they see all of these multitudes that are after him. Now, sometimes the thought would be, man, they, they're, they're so demanding and we wanna, we're going to have to deal with them somehow. But Jesus was never bothered by people. Hey, in a politically charged environment, I want to remind you that there's a whole lot of politicians that you matter to as long as you vote for them. But when the election's over, they forget about you really quick. And that's not just one party, that's on both sides. 
all sides. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we care about you. And then as soon as they get from you what they want, you don't factor into their thoughts anymore. Have this nice, comfortable ruling class where they only protect themselves. No, that goes on. Jesus was never bothered by people. <laughs> okay, I need to preach on this for a minute. <laughs> people can be wearisome. People can make you tired. People are needy. The psalmist said, I am poor and needy. People are messy. People have problems. People don't always do things the right way. But people did not get on Jesus' nerves. Jesus didn't live his life trying to avoid people. Jesus lived his life trying to engage people. It didn't matter how messy. It didn't matter how hard. It didn't matter how difficult. It didn't matter how annoying they could be. He loved people. And so when he looks out over this valley or these lower level of masses of people that so many would want to avoid, these people that are sick, these people that are clamoring to be close to him, these people that he is exhausted ministering to, as he looks out over them, he's not filled with contempt or irritation. He has compassion on them. Him, and he, he is concerned about their physical need for food. And so he says in verse number five to Philip, targets Philip. The disciples are there with him, but he, he calls on Philip. Don't you love it when the authority calls you out, the teacher calls you out? Oh, great. You're just sliding down in your desk, please, praying, please don't let them ask me, please. And then they look at you like so. What would you do? He says to Philip, where can we buy some bread? That is enough to feed this multitude. And verse number six is really important. It's not, it's, it's not the message that we're dealing with this morning, but we need to remember this. Jesus didn't say this because he didn't know what to do. He wasn't, he wasn't sitting up there saying, all right, team, we got a big challenge, and I really need some creative ideas. That's not what he was doing, because Jesus doesn't need our creativity. <laughs> no, Jesus blesses with ability and creativity, but Jesus is God. <laughs> it's, we are privileged to be a part of his work. <laughs> he doesn't, it's not that he needs us. It's that he's good enough to want to use us, and he blesses us with things that he can use. And so Jesus wasn't... It wasn't looking for a solution. Jesus was, the, the word is prove, and the idea is that he was stretching. How many of you have stretched in the last week? It hurts. Man, I'm pushing the golden age of 40. <laughs> Let me revisit that. It's coming. And it's, it's not getting easier to stretch. I stretch every morning, and it hurts every morning. It's like my muscles forgot what position I wanted them to stay in when I went to sleep. Stretching is painful. You know what stretching is, though? It's good for you. Protects you from injury, helps your muscles to maintain some elasticity and to be strong, those sorts of things. Jesus is trying to stretch Philip, he's trying to stretch his disciples. Understand this, that in order for you to grow in your faith, in order for you to understand, truly understand what God is capable of, in order for you to develop and mature like, what, like God wants you to, it will require that you sometimes have to face challenges that you don't know the answer to. 
But just because you don't know the answer to the challenge, just because you don't know what the solution is, just because you don't know how this will all turn out, doesn't mean that God doesn't. And sometimes we forget that the one who has allowed the challenge is the one who has the solution. He's just going to take us through a process to where we have to be stretched and we have to grow. And so Jesus asked this, not so he can learn the answer, but so he can teach the disciples an important lesson about himself and about what they have to offer and the significance of the decisions that they're going to make in their life. In verse number seven, Philip's doing the calculations. He's like, eh. Well, that's not going to work. He, he uses the figure 200 penny worth of bread. It's, it's something less than $10, which doesn't sound like a lot in that time. It would have been a significant amount, but it didn't matter the amount that Philip could say. It wasn't going to be enough to feed that many. You say, why? Because there were about 5,000 people there, not counting, I believe, the women and the children that were there as well. So let's just say it this way, you had a lot of people, and you didn't have the money that you were going to be able to feed them. And so Philip says, look, we can't do it all. Well, then Andrew speaks up, one of his disciples, Andrew, in verse number 8, Simon Peter's brother saith unto him, in verse 9, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. So Andrew comes to Jesus with this famous unnamed lad, and he says, look, he has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but this is a very, very small amount, and so Andrew asked this question of Jesus, look, I, we have this, but then he says in verse number nine, what, what are they? What, it, what is this bread? What are these barley loaves? Just basically these small rolls and these two small fishes. What, what is this when compared to the need? What are they among so many? Now this is a natural question and one that many of us would be inclined to ask. When you have 100 people attending and you only have 20 chairs you would say, this doesn't meet the need. And Andrew is saying, we have this food right here, but it doesn't measure up in comparison to the need. Now, we get the benefit of knowing the rest of the story without having to go through the experience of verse number 10. Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't explain himself before giving the command. And please get this. God doesn't expect you to understand everything in order to believe him enough to obey his word. He expects you to obey. You say, I don't know how this is going to work out. This is going to make me vulnerable. This is going to make us look foolish. Imagine being the disciples. And uh, all of this multitude is looking to you. And Jesus is now telling you that you ha kind of have to help oversee them being fed and being satisfied. And you have, to, you have to give the instructions, sit down, so you know that people are going to have the expectation that something is amazing is going to happen. But you don't know how it's going to happen. You know what you're worried about? falling on your face and being embarrassed. People have needs and I have no ability to meet them. Listen, you don't have to know how it's going to work out to have faith to obey God. So they obey, they make them sit down. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus, in verse number 11, he, he takes the loaves. You say, why do we pray for food over food? Because Jesus did. I don't I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know that there's a command in the Bible that says you have to pray before every meal. 
or every snack. It's just good to be grateful before God. What's wrong with thanking him for what he gave you? You say, well, why do you have to pray? Well, I don't know that you have to, but why wouldn't you want to? I make my kids tell people thank you when they give us food. Why wouldn't we tell God thank you for the things he's given us? I mean, if Jesus did it, probably not bad for me to do it. So Jesus blesses it. Man, I wish I knew what that prayer was. <laughs> Pray over some mac and cheese and it feed the pile daycare for two weeks. <laughs> Swimming in Velveeta. <laughs> Shells and cheese. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. That's going way too far. Jesus blesses it, then he breaks it. And he gives it to his disciples. I don't, I don't think, I, I don't have this in my mind, and, and the text doesn't say exactly. I don't think all of a sudden just a whole lot of stuff just appeared. Here's what I believe. That every time there was someone else to pass out to, they had what they needed to pass out to them. Every time they chose to obey him, there was enough to carry out that act of obeying. I don't think they started at the beginning and saw all of a sudden his food just multiply and they could see the need being met 5,000 strong. I don't think they saw that. I think they saw, okay, I gotta take care of this 50. And they take care of that group and then, the, okay, there's more. And they took care of that group and for every, every time they needed it, they had what they needed. Man, following Jesus Christ is so much like that. As individuals, as a family, as a church family, that we don't always have everything that we think we're going to need in the moment, but everything that we need for that step we have. We have the grace that we need. We have the resources that we need. We have the opportunity. We have the ability. We have the strength for that moment. Sometimes people have said, I don't know how I'm going to go through something down the road, but you're not going to know how until you get to it. And when you're in it, I can promise you based on the word of God and the testimony of numbers of people in this room that you will have what you need from him when you need it. You just have to be willing to take that step of faith and uh, obey him. Well, Jesus blessed it, and man, when he blesses it, it's blessed. When his hands touch something, it's going to produce. And so in verse 12, they all eat and are filled. Jesus took the loaves in verse 11, and verse 12, when they were filled. Um, have your kids ever whined to you about being hungry? They're like, okay, here's a snack. I'm hungry. I'm still hungry. Okay, maybe that's what your husband sounds like. <laughs> I'm still hungry. I need more. They weren't asking for more. You know why? Because they had all they wanted. Just kept eating until they were filled, until they were satisfied, until they were full. And I love this in verse number 13. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Leftovers are in the Bible, hallelujah. So right there I just dealt with two eating habits, pray and eat leftovers, amen. There's all kinds of good stuff in the Bible. Moving on, here's the point. Out of a few, five loaves, two fishes, Jesus fed at least 5,000. Out of the few, he fed many. Here's the statement. It's a very simple statement. A lot can be done with a little. 
say this way, a little can be used to do a whole lot. But here's the truth about this principle. It works either good or bad, for the good or the bad. Jesus can take your little and do a whole lot with it. But there can be areas in your life that you neglect to obey him that seem insignificant to you that can cause ripples, can cause tidal waves of destructive consequences in your life and in the life of your family down the road. Here's the danger. The danger is that we compare the effect of what we do or don't do to the size of the need and conclude that our actions or contributions are inconsequential. Let me read that again. I really want you to get this idea. The danger is that we compare the effect of what we do or don't do to the size of the need and conclude that our actions or contributions are inconsequential, meaning they're not significant. Please note this in the text. It's not that Andrew said, I don't have anything to offer. Do you get that? This was Philip. Philip said, we don't have money. We don't have money to buy this. Andrew at least had the awareness to say, okay, Lord, we've at least got this much. We got these five loaves and these two fishes, and we, we, we have it. It's not that he didn't bring anything to the Lord. It's that he thought what he brought didn't matter. It's not that Andrew was over here saying, please get this. It's not that he was over here saying that I just don't have anything to bring. It's that he recognized and he even said to God, God, I have something that I could do. I have something that you want me to do. I have something that I can offer. I have something that I can bring to you. I just don't think it matters in the grand scheme of things. His statement, what are these? No, that's not exactly what he said. He said, but what are they? Among so many. I could do this, but Lord, if I'm just being honest, this really doesn't make any difference. It's irrelevant. Here's the danger in our lives. Is that the things that we know we ought to do, or the things we know we ought to change, we view them as inconsequential. And so we don't deny that we need to do something. We just simply check out and say, God, this really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. What I have to offer is so insignificant, or this change that I need to make in my attitude or my spirit, in the grand scheme of things, it's really not a big deal. And because we either don't obey in doing a good, or we don't obey in changing a bad, and the danger is that that causes a ripple effect of consequence. Here's what I'm thankful for. Jesus can take your little and do a whole lot with it. But you have to be willing to bring him your little. You have to be willing to live out your little by faith. Let's talk about two areas. Number one, the good you do in the hands of Jesus can make a huge difference. I like it. So happy. Y'all might as well smile. This is good. We're not to the negative application yet. Uh, thank you, Brother Max, for mentioning the tracks. Good thing. Say, what's the big deal? It's a tract. I passed out one track during the week. 
what's the big deal with that? Well, I told the story in Sunday school about a dear friend of mine who maybe one day he'll get to come out here and visit. I don't know. We have a dear friend of mine named Michael Scott. He's a black man who was having a successful military career, and then something bad happened in his life, and he ended up in jail for 10 years, and a man, some old dude decided to go to prison and pass out tracks and gave Michael a track. You know what Michael's attitude was initially? I don't need this. But he laid in his prison cell and he couldn't go to sleep. And no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't forget about that track that was given him. And so he decided to get up and sitting there in that cell in the dark of night with a little bit of light, he read the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you don't, you don't, need, you don't need anything more than the gospel. And he got saved that night in his cell. Mm, I like it. You know what Michael Scott is doing now? He's serving on staff at the church where I served at. I got to work with him. I love him. You know what Michael does? He just tells everybody how good Jesus is. Dude is ripped. He goes into the weight room. Man, the Lord is so good. Yeah, two more reps. The Lord is so good. Just the whole time. People are there like, man, I hate my life. And he's like, the Lord is so good. Whole time he's talking about Jesus. Don't tell me one track can't make a difference because one track made a difference in his life, and that's been a domino effect of people getting to hear the gospel. It's amazing to watch. We've had Division I athletes come to our church or their church, come to their church because of his influence in their life. One track in a prison cell that nobody really cared about. Just give the track out. Just do it by faith. Say, hey, could I, could I give you something to read? I don't know what you think about God, but I believe he loves you, and I just I want to give you an invitation to our church. Could I do that? Some people are going to say no, but some people are going to take it. Oh, I said some people are going to take it. And you might not see him. I don't know that he ever saw that man that gave him the track again. But I know that there's going to be a whole lot of people in heaven because that man was willing to go give him a track. Just give him a track. <laughs> Did I say that right? All right, track. <laughs> All right, sorry. He's school. You go to school, and it's not like everybody at school loves Jesus. Look, I went to a very strict Christian school. That was just as rowdy as any public school you could ever be a part of. It's not like everybody loves Jesus. But, hey, young people, you go ahead and stand up for what's right. You go ahead and live by faith. You don't be afraid to speak up because that testimony of doing right, that testimony of loving the Lord, that willingness to say, you know, I don't buy in with this idea that everything just exploded and somehow we randomly got here. I actually believe that there's a loving God who created us and he cares about us. Don't, don't be afraid to have a testimony of purity. Don't be afraid to have a testimony of listening to the right thing and doing the right thing. You say, I don't, know. I don't know what good it'll do, man. We're just going through so many difficulties, and, and I, just, I, just don't, 
I don't know what good it'll do in my home for me to have a good attitude. Well, just trust the Lord with it. Have a good attitude and see what he does with it. My husband really is, is, is really, really going, going the wrong direction, and, and he has a terrible attitude. Will you be gracious and have a kind spirit? My wife just doesn't seem to respect me. Will you have humility and just let the Lord use that little act of humility to work in her heart? I don't really know what my ability can be used for. I'm, I mean, all I, I feel like I can't. I'm not as talented as other people. God doesn't need you to be talented to use you to make a great difference in the lives of people. You've seen someone, you may not have known it. You saw someone this week, this past week, that needed some kindness in their lives. You did. So I don't really know that what I could do makes much of a difference. Okay, that's fine you don't know it. Jesus didn't tell Andrew to know it. Does that make sense? He just told Andrew to obey him. You, you don't have to know what it'll do. Why don't you just let me bless it? Why don't you just let me use it? Why don't you just let me take what you can do and then see what happens with it down the road? Now, here's the challenge. The results are not usually immediate like 5,000. Wouldn't it be awesome if we all passed out a track this week and then next week we had 5,000 people here? I don't know if I'd call that awesome, something else. You say, yeah, it'd be good, but it would definitely be something. Be standing up on the roof preaching to people, it'd be amazing. The boat. That's not how it works. Results can be slow, can't they? But just because they're slow doesn't mean God's not in it. Raising your children can be slow, but it doesn't mean God's not in it. Developing the right attitude about finances and, and the right resources can be slow, but it doesn't mean that God's in it. You say, I don't know what this little bit, this little bit is not going to make a difference in the missions account. Okay, you may think that. You may think compared to the need of the whole world that whatever you can give or whatever you're supposed to give isn't really that big of a deal. But, but instead of trying to figure out how it's going to work, why don't you just recognize that God says to do this and so I'm going to obey him and I'm going to participate by faith faith and see what he does with it. God can use the little bit of good in your hand to do a whole lot of good. But the good that you neglect can cause huge problems. You know, I asked you about the revival meeting and here's why. Because there's some of you God spoke to you about things that need to get better. Meaning there's some things in your life that you need to change. Some attitudes you need to change. Some forgiveness you need to grant. Some bitterness you need to get over. Some faithfulness you need to commit to. Some habits you need to let go of and you need to improve. And you know it. I don't need you to tell me you know it. You know it because you've admitted already that he spoke to you and we were here. And we know that God was working. But here's the danger. This is what you can think. Over time, if we don't deal with things quickly... It's easy just to allow them to remain the same, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how quickly indifference and apathy sets in? Like, man, I really need to do something about that. And then you let it go. And there's some that you know God spoke to you about something, and this is what you're going to think. You know what? I, I mean, okay, I'll admit that it's not right. Hey, I was having this discussion, because we don't argue ever, with Andrea. <laughs> I was having this very passionate discussion about a very meaningless subject. 
And man, I knew she smoked me. This happened yesterday. And I didn't just want to say you're right. <laughs> so this is what I said. Well, you're technically right. <laughs> I'll admit you're right on a technicality. No, some of you play that game with God. You sit there in your chair, and you hear the preaching, and you heard this revival, and you're like, okay, God, you're right on a technicality, but I don't really think this is a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But the things that you think are small deals are going to have a huge effect on the lives of your children one day. And there are some of you that if you keep tolerating that attitude, or you keep tolerating that habit, or you keep tolerating that indifference, or you keep tolerating that unwillingness to yield your life and not submit to me, not submit to a church, but to submit to the word of God, you keep refusing to do that. That that stone that you think is so small is going to be cast into the river of your life, and it is going to have a tsunami of negative effects in the lives of your children one day. And you need to wake up to it. Stop acting like the evil that we hide doesn't really matter. The attitudes we hide and we tolerate. You got a bad attitude, stop blaming it on everybody else. I understand nobody else around you is perfect, but if you have a bad attitude, that's not anybody else's fault. You say, it's a little basket, it's not that big of a deal. But that little bit of a bad attitude, that little bit of resentment, that little bit of a disdain for the people God has put in your life can produce ripple effects to great destruction and casualty. I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but I am saying that when God deals with you about something, you better not act like it's just a small basket. What does this matter? You better understand if it was big enough for him to deal with you about then it probably matters a whole lot. So good or bad. You know, you say, where does that say that in the Bible? Well, Jesus said this. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And this is what he said. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Good or bad. A little goes a long way. So what's, what's your basket? God pointed out a basket during the revival. I wish I had baskets I could give to you. God pointed out a basket. For some of you, it was a good basket. You're sitting there and you're like, man, it's, I, know, I know God wants me to get serious about trying to be a witness. Or, man, I know God wants me to get serious about trying to be an encouragement. I know God wants me to get serious about reading my Bible. Or I know God wants me to get serious about getting involved. I know, I know God wants me to get serious about attending. Or I know God wants me to get serious about doing something at my work or, or doing something, investing in my family. I know God wants me to get serious. And you look at your basket and you say, I just don't think this is a whole lot. What is this? What does this matter to the greater scheme of things? I don't know, but I'm just going to trust God with it. Can you just trust God with it? I don't know if you've taken action yet, but if you know God's challenged you to do something, can you take some action this morning? Can you come to this altar and say, God, I'm going to, this week I will start. But for some of you, it wasn't a basket of I need to start this. It was a basket of I need to stop this. Some of you have great opportunities. You have great families. You have, God has blessed you with so many good things in life, but you got some baskets with some stuff in it that doesn't need to be there.
And you're acting like this isn't a big deal. If God dealt with you about it, it's probably a big deal. And it's not, it, listen, future generations don't get helped or messed up because we're perfect. They get, they get helped or messed up because of our willingness or unwillingness to submit to God and to keep trying to pursue Jesus Christ. And at whatever point we harden our heart and say, nope, that's my basket, doesn't matter, that's when we start setting them, we start causing negative effects in their lives. Now look, can they overcome that in their own lives? Yes, but don't we want to make it easier, not harder? Yeah, 100%. God can do a little, excuse me, God can use your little to do a whole lot of good. Or your little bit that you refuse to give to God can be used to do a whole lot of bad. So what do you need to address this morning? What's in your basket? What do you need to deal with? Let's all stand together. From the few to the many, here's the, here's the point with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, is that whatever we do with our little will be felt by many. What we do with this gift called West Valley Baptist Church will be felt by many. What we do with the gift of the gospel will be felt by many. What we do with this gift of life and habit will be felt by many. So I, what are you doing with your basket? I'll ask it this way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if there would be someone that would raise their hand and say, I, I, have some, I have some what I think are small things in my basket, but I know God is dealing with me about them, and, and I am really struggling with that. Would you pray for me? I wonder if you'd raise your hand and say, that's me, yeah, yeah, I see him. God bless you. Well, let's respond to the Lord. While Brother Nate sings, have thine own way. Let him have his way with your basket. You come to him. We'll sing one more verse. Thy spirit.
you can direct your attention this way. I don't know if you ever thought like this. I just sometimes look at population statistics. I go to a place where I can see a lot of people, and sometimes I just think, what does my life matter among all of this? But I believe in a God. And, and I don't just, I'm not just hoping. I am basing my eternity, my life and my eternity on him being who his word says he is. I believe it. I'm committed to it. I've, I've sold myself to that belief and that faith. And this is what he says. Your life, no matter how unknown you are, is not inconsequential. You, in, this, in this life, you will not know how much your life matters. But you'll stand before God one day, and you'll see the ripple effect of all the little baskets that you either let God have or did not let God have. Your life isn't inconsequential. Your life matters. Makes a difference. You ought to be encouraged by that and be motivated to use it for the Lord's will. Well, we are having church tonight. Hallelujah. When there's football, when there's not football, we be having church. Hallelujah. And afterwards, we are recording stuff, and my wife and I are going to fight it out. And because as is the case, she usually roots for the wrong team, and she is tonight. So I'm just messing around. I'm just messing with y'all, just whatever. I don't care what y'all think either. I don't care what my wife thinks. She's technically right, and that's it. Anyway, all right. Those of you watching online, thanks so much for being in our services tonight. We'll look forward to being with you again at 5 o'clock. Brother Nate will dismiss us with a song. All right, let's close with the chorus of The Solid Rock. On Christ the Solid.